0: Of the Black and Comp Bio seminar series. Um, As you can see, we are trying something a little bit different this time um, and really just focusing on giving our community members, um, our allies, and our members just more of an opportunity to engage with great Comp Bio stories on demand. And so we're switching now to. interviews that are audio only and you can listen to them at any time from our website and also on our youtube Um, today i just wanted to give you a brief introduction into dr chantelle evans Dr. Evans received her Bachelor's of Science in Chemistry from Southern Illinois University and her PhD in Molecular and Cellular Pharmacology from the University of Wisconsin Madison. Her graduate thesis investigated calcium regulated exocytosis using biochemistry and biophysics. She then completed her postdoctoral training at the University of Pennsylvania, where she used advanced microscopy and biochemical techniques to gain insight into the molecular mechanisms that regulate mitophagy and primary neurons. Chantelle is an inaugural recipient of the Hannah Gray Fellowship from the Howard Hughes Medical Institute. And she's currently a brand new principal investigator Um, This is a professor at Duke University. Uh, We're so excited to share with you the amazing conversation we had with Dr. Evans. Uh, Melissa and I talked not only about her professional journey, but just about life as a scientist. As um, the world continues to spin outside of the work that you do in academia, we talk intimately about some of the nuances of the shared identities we have as black women within the field um, and we dive into what it even means to be a scientist at those times and also share a little bit of um, advice for navigating um, and also just, you know, what is it like to, to start a lab. Um, so I just wanted to preface our conversation today I and mean, thank you all for listening in advance. We're really excited to share this with you.
1: All right, well, we are here for our um, first Black Women in Comp bio interview series, where we'll be talking to Dr. Chantel Evans about her career path, her journey in science, and, and get to know uh, her thoughts and, and yeah, her thoughts about setting up a new lab. So yeah, and we have me, Melissa, uh on the board uh janae and taylor director and vice director as well here
0: hello
2: hi (laughs) and thank you guys for inviting me to this little little chat we're gonna have
1: yeah so we thought we would start off by um kind of warming up everyone so we have a science trivia question um uh, so the the Nobel Peace Prize was one of the most is one of the most prestigious awards in the fields of science. The man behind the award, Alfred Nobel. What did he invent?
2: I have <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea. Um, can you tell me what discipline it is related to? Scientific mm-hmm.
0: discipline. That's a good question because. <laughs> um... <laughs> maybe Uh, nuclear physics right yes something (laughs) (laughs) extreme yeah
2: um yeah I got I I I got nothing (laughs) um NMR
0: (laughs) that's a good guess that's better than my guess which is not that okay
1: (laughs) (laughs) Taylor do you want to guess or do you know yeah I know it. Oh, okay, common... did,
2: you, did you know it straight off the bat or did you know it once you looked it up?
0: <laughs> oh, I know. Totally well, I it, do yeah. a lot of crosswords, trivia is my thing. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> this is a common just,
2: one. I was just trying to make me feel better about myself,
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> the fact that I did not know this, <laughs> so Wait. Taylor's not helping me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm just addicted to crosswords.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, Alfred Nobel invented dynamite. Oh. Which I guess warranted a Nobel Peace Prize. Um, Yeah.
2: Okay. Well, look at us learning something today.
1: Right. Um. And then we shared this uh, a little bit before the recording, but you were, Chantel, you were also at Penn um, for your postdoc. Yeah,
2: yeah. I was in uh, Erica Holzbauer's lab. She's in the Department of Physiology there. And so I was there from 2016 to 2021 when I started here at Duke. did Did you...
1: um did you meet Chantel there or overlap in any way no I think I realized
0: you were at Penn actually maybe through um the cell thousand black scientists maybe or something there was some sort of announcement I was like oh wow that's so cool Um, I wonder where she's at, and it was Penn. So (laughs) um, that's when I reached out to you. I was actually, that was during a time when I was emailing anyone who was a black professor, like, do you have any um, black women in comp bio that you know of that might be interested in starting this and helping to be a part of this community I'm building? And um, Dr. Evans said, I'm not, but I'm I'm happy to join. So um, she's been a part of it since, yeah yeah <laughs> um yeah so can you tell us a little bit more about where you're from uh, maybe some of your background. um what has kind of been your journey uh before you you know hopped into academia and your professional path
2: yeah um so I'm originally from central Illinois um I grew up in a single parent household um so my mother raised me and my sister um we moved from one small town to an even smaller town mm-hmm. when I was about three years old, and in that town there was like barely any Black people. There are barely any people of color. I mean, like it was the resident, like, oh, we have our one Asian family, yeah. and we have <laughs> our couple of Black families, and yeah. here's that Hispanic family. Like it was, it was a a not a, it was just not diverse at all mm-hmm. um so going through elementary school junior high high school it was it was some rough time mm-hmm. um I feel like I faced racism pretty early on um in, before even going to school in kindergarten kind of realizing mm-hmm. like oh I am not like the rest of these people and they are going to make it known that I am not like the rest of them. Mm -hmm. Um, but my mom was really encouraging, really supportive. Um, even though she didn't have a college degree, she understood and valued education and really instilled that into me and my sister, from a really early age. I remember her telling me one time when I was little, like, my job is to go to work, and your job, Chantelle, is to get good grades. And I just, like, took that advice and was like, okay. And so (laughs) I kind of feel like that was something that drove me really through um, my, like, early education was that idea of my job is to go to school and to get good grades, and from this, I will be able to make something of myself. Um, And so I think I... I I think I struggled with finding like my identity, especially finding like my black identity when I was little, because there just wasn't a lot of culture of any type around me. And in order to understand that, especially just like outside of my family, which was me, my mom, and my sister, you know, so it wasn't it wasn't a lot. Um, yeah. But I think it's something that has kind of helped me, and it really has impacted and influenced the rest of the decisions with where I've chosen to complete schooling and where I chose to um, live. It's always been like moving to bigger and bigger cities, yeah. moving to places that are much more diverse, moving to places where I feel like there's a community and can relate to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it has shaped me, but I think it's really influenced me. I would say in more of a, a positive direction than thinking of it as just, you know, Something, a negative experience that kind of deterred me. Mm -hmm. Um, So for undergrad, I went to Southern Illinois University in Carbondale. Um, It was like three three hours away from where I grew up. My mom was like, you can go to college, like you definitely have to go to college, but you can't leave the state of Illinois. And <laughs> so I was like, where's the university that is furthest away from my mom? <laughs> so I could still feel like I was like independent and on my own, but I still stayed in Illinois. Like she asked me to. Um, so there I went thinking that I was going to actually go to pharmacy school. Um, I had received the Gates Millennium Foundation Award wow. um, from Bill and Melinda Gates. And so that gives you a full ride for your undergrad. And so, like, I've, I've always really liked STEM fields, um, English reading fields. Remember my areas where I thrived, always in the, you know, biology, physics, mathematics is my area. Um, and so I went in just being like, okay, I'm going to take the prereqs to get through. Uh, so I can go and apply for, like, there's an entrance exam, kind of like the MCAT to get to pharmacy school, was going to do that, and then, then go. And so after two years of taking all of the prereqs that I needed, um, my mom was like, JK, you need to stay, because you have a full ride, so you need, <laughs> so you need to <laughs> stay to get a degree. And I was like, well, why didn't you tell me, like, earlier? Like, what are you doing? I've been myself for a year. You yeah. know? Um, so I went to my guidance counselor and asked, Like, okay, here are the classes that I've taken. I am now going to stay for four years. I need to get a degree at the end of this four years. What do I have the most courses in and I'm going to be that major? And uh, we looked at everything and she was like, you have the most courses in chemistry. And I said, okay, I'm going to be a chem major. And she was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You don't just pick chemistry as a major like this. Like These are very hard courses and this is one of the most difficult majors at the school. And I was like, I got this. No worries. I like chemistry. And so that's how I became a chem major. (laughs) Um, And so I, I, yeah, I stayed for four years, got my uh, degree. Um, And then the summer before my senior year, I participated in an REU um, at my home institution. Uh, That's where I really started getting experience of what a laboratory could be like and what you could do that was outside of a, um, I guess a more classroom setting Mm -hmm. because in the classroom I was like, these labs are boring. Like, you know, (laughs) you're, you're sitting there making acid drops and changing colors slightly and, you know, doing things that wasn't interesting. Um, And so that's, that really opened my eyes to what could be done and what questions I could ask and starting to think critically and people were letting me, you know, do things on my own and and yeah. find results and how do I analyze this data and so it's a really great opportunity and, and because of that was re- one of the reasons why I decided to apply to grad school um I feel like I've I've always tried to prepare myself for multiple outcomes but I still make decisions very last minute <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So like I took all the prereqs so I could go to med school just in case because I didn't know um but I didn't apply to grad schools and I said like the applications were like the last possible second. Mm-hmm. I took the GRE in November, applications were due in December, yep. just last minute anything. <laughs> Not the best, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it worked out. Uh, so I really for grad school wanted to focus on something where I could take my chemi- my chemistry background and then like apply that to a biological setting. And so I was looking at like pharmaceutical sciences programs, pharmacy programs, pharmacology programs, different things like that. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up going to uh, the University of Wisconsin in Madison and for their molecular and cellular pharmacology program. And so I went in thinking I was going to study cancer. If you read like my my statement, it was like, I can't wait to study cancer and find cures. And I ended up going and, and studying um neuroscience and, and looking at neurotransmitter release so <laughs> completely opposite with, of what I, I said that I was going to do but um I, I trained in Ed Chapman's lab um there he's in the department of neuroscience uh really really great opportunity really enjoyed what I was doing um really like applied my chemistry background so I was doing a lot of biophysics um and um, in vitro biochemistry to kind of understand how this uh, specific protein was activated and um, how it bound to calcium. So altering amino acid residues to kind of change the conformation and the binding affinities and all of these things. So it, it really did really nicely kind of encompass what I set out to do. Um, and I had a, an overall great experience as a graduate student. And even though I had a great experience, I still didn't know if like academia was for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like a lot of times I was the only or, uh, you know, the only or one of few in the room Mm -hmm. and it really kind of affected my sense of belonging and and my perceived career path. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, can I do this if there are not people here that look like me? Um, And so... My my advisor really sat me down and was like, look, I think that you can do this and you need to pursue this. If you want me to find like uh, mentors who are diverse, who you could talk to, um, that we can do that. You know, he really helped me to kind of get the confidence that I needed to continue into academia. Um, and, and I'll say overall, I feel like it worked out. Um, but then I ended up really wanting to do a postdoc because I wanted to learn new techniques. Mm.
1: Um,
2: I really liked what I was doing, but and I loved neuroscience, but I wanted to learn how to do live cell imaging really mm. badly. And mm. I think it was just in lab meetings, uh, we had a group who who was doing cell biology. So they had all these beautiful images and I was over there just making like bar graphs that were in grayscale. <laughs> and I was like I <laughs> I just want some of these pretty images and understand, like actually watch proteins and organelles move. Um, And so I ended up joining Erica Holsperger's lab because it was, again, like the best of both worlds. Uh, She still did a lot of basic biochemistry, protein purification, you know, um, but she always coupled that with live cell imaging. And so I was like, okay, there I'm going to have a steep learning curve of learning how to do uh, tissue culture work, lifestyle imaging, but I can always fall back on I have this strong biochemistry background. Mm-hmm. And so um, there I had a, I had a great postdoc oper- uh, experience overall. I, I really enjoyed what I was doing and it really like learning how to do lifestyle imaging really changed my career trajectory and like focus of, of what I thought I wanted to study. Mm-hmm. Um, so in her lab, we started uh, looking at mitochondrial dynamics and they're one of the best things to image because they're so dynamic they're constantly moving and so doing cell imaging of that I was just always really excited about what I was doing um, and then being able to really apply it to um, understanding neurodegeneration and, and like having a, a, a better understanding of that process uh, really really excited me and, and kept me focused on it.
0: Yeah. So thank you for that. There are actually a lot of points that you shared that I think we'll probably touch on um, specifically like mentoring, um, your motivation to do your postdoc and also just kind of like your what kind of catalyzed each of the steps that you took in your professional career. Um, So I think but firstly, when you I want to touch on firstly, kind of what's motivating you right now um, as you're building your lab to kind of reflect the support and um, kind of the help you've had along the way in your journey? Um, More specifically, like, how are you, um, what is your mentoring style? How are you hoping to, like, make an impact on future trainees' lives? Um, And what about your own experience kind of informs the approach that you take to mentoring?
2: Yeah, I think... I think what is probably most informed the way that I'm, I'm taking to mentoring now is, is, you know, the long lasting relationships I've had with my former mentors, mm-hmm. um, both of them extraordinary people, um, you know, and they really got to know me as an individual in addition to under, you know, being able to mentor me, in, in terms of my um, academic career and science and things like that and so I think it is really important to get to know each one of your your mentees and understand their background and where they're coming from and what they're bringing to the table into the lab because it's really important in how you're choosing your your mentoring style and approach um, to each individual you know we all come with our own own baggage and if it's not recognized it can make sometimes for difficult situations or not really being able to um, really communicate with each other mm-hmm. and and really understand where each person is coming from. Right. Um, so I think that's something that I've been trying my best to really focus on. Uh, I think there are little things you can do. You know, someone told me when you're a mentor, every time you open up a meeting, ask them how they're doing. Don't immediately jump to the science or to the focus of the meeting, you know, get to know them. What was your weekend? Like, you know, open it up to where it's still a dialogue and you're getting to know each other throughout um, your experiences and time together. Yeah. And I think I found that to be really helpful, um, especially with, you know, when you have rotation students, um, sometimes, you know, when I, since I'm just starting my lab, they are working directly with me. And some students are like super excited and other students come in and they're maybe a little bit more anxious or, or nervous, like, oh, I have to work with the TI. Like, Ugh. you know? And so having those kind of, how Go in, you know, general, just regular, everyday conversations with them. I think opens them up a little bit more to where they feel more comfortable uh, working directly with me, which I think has been beneficial.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, also, I, I, you know, really tried to be upfront and honest with expectations. Um, so I put together a lab manual before uh, I had my first rotation student join, so that they could read that, um, and within that, I really laid out pretty much most expectations for the lab of what I expect of them, but also what they can expect of me. Because right, right. I think, again, it's really important to um, understand what you're, what the situation is, right? What you're getting self, yourself into mm-hmm. when joining a lab, but also, you know, joining this, um, I guess, re- mentor-mentee relationship.
0: Right, right.
1: Yeah. That's so nice to hear. I've actually, I feel bad because I don't think I've ever heard of anyone say that they've had a lab manual during my rotations here. So it's nice to know that that's, you know, like a a standard thing that maybe I should look into. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So we read that you were a part of the inaugural cohort of the Hannah Grace Fellows, and we we're just wondering, what was that experience like? How's it been, and and how does that um like shape shape your goals as a as a new PI? Yeah,
2: the Hannah Grace program is probably big and like one of the most uh, influential uh, programs that I've been a part of. Uh, it just in terms of the prestige of being associated with HHMI, but also because of the group that I get to be a, a part of. So I was right. I I guess I had just become a postdoc. It was probably like three months into me being a postdoc when uh, that the award was first announced. And so um, I got an email from, my PI advisor I mean sorry for my um advisor for my PhD and an email from my postdoc advisor like you will be applying to this (laughs) (laughs) and they're like you know this is this aligns perfectly with like who you are and what you want to do you need to apply for this Mm -hmm. um so I was like okay so (laughs) <laughs> I applied not thinking I was going to get it at all. Um, I actually found out I made it as a finalist when I was on vacation in Spain at like wow. two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and, like immediately sent an email to to my uh, postdoc advisor being like, I'm sad I didn't bring my computer so I can start working and like, <laughs> preparing for my talk. And she was like, your vacation, calm down.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it was, super cool um because with with the program when you're a semifinalist, you go and you give a talk in person and so you're in these groups where you get to see what other people are doing so you we were in groups of three so I got to see two other people's talks when I gave my talk and so it was really intimidating because everybody is coming and you know doing this fabulous science from these really prestigious institutions and it was like oh my god I hope I do good mm-hmm. um but it was that alone, I, I left that semi-finalist um, like symposium feeling like if I didn't get this award, that experience alone was worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I found out that I got the award, I was super excited because you know from the small group of people that I got to see, I knew that I was going to be among such a a, a group of you know young scientists who are doing cutting edge research who also are, were from diverse backgrounds so i felt like oh these people will i will identify with my lived experiences in academia right mm-hmm. and so i mean it is I mean, that's basically what the group has been like is and even though we're not in this all in the same schools i still feel like i have very close bonds with many of them mm-hmm. and you know we have slack channels we have group texts, we're always talking. What's great is like a lot of us have now started our labs at the exact same time. So we're always like helping each other. Like, how much did you pay for this? (laughs) Do you think I could get this? And just kind of sharing things back and forth, uh, which has been, been really, really great.
1: Awesome. That's so great. That's so wholesome that you have that community to lean on, especially during Especially like setting up your new lab when I, there's yeah. not really a good manual for you know how to be a new PI, but mm-hmm. having you know people that you relate to and identify with as a support. Right, this must have been really good.
2: Yeah, it was also really helpful going when went on the job market. You know, people mm-hmm. were really willing to share some of their um, application materials and how they negotiated and what that looked like and um, it really was useful because I feel like a lot of these things are kind of black boxes and you don't really know until you're in the situation. So having the support of others was was tremendous during that time.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, the, kind of branching off of that, can you speak more to like what things you were, what other information you were gathering during the application process to kind of determine like what schools you wanted to apply to and and like what would be a good, a best, the good fit for you, yeah. Yeah, I think,
2: I think it's tough, right? Because when I was talking to my mentors and we were trying to decide how many schools I was going to apply to and, you know, they're like put together a short list of of schools and departments that you think you would like to be a part of. Um, You know, so it was like me really going through websites you know trying to be like oh what are these like what are the areas of research within this department and you know how will i fit into this department who could i potentially collaborate with i'm trying to look at things like that um and i came up with like 10 schools i was was interested in applying to from that and then really, you know, went back and forth, talked with my mentors, like, what do you think of this department? They'd be like, yeah, that's a great department. And maybe you avoid that <laughs> department or, yeah. you know, different things like that to get an initial idea of what places I was going to apply to. Um, when I went on the job market, it was also uh, 2020. So you're dealing with a pandemic and you're dealing with uh, social justice issues. And, yeah. you know, the state of the country in world was in you know a very vulnerable place and so uh there there weren't as many um job openings as there typically was and so that was something we had to deal with um and we ended up having to go through an interview online right through zoom so i was spending like 25 hours a day I mean hours a week on zoom um going to to different schools right so it was a it was a very unique experience that maybe one day I'll look back and be like oh what a time but like right now I feel like it's like "Mm." (laughs) it was was a lot to to deal with um and and to go through day after day and trying to you know be on and smile and be engaging Mm -hmm. when you know these things are happening outside that you have no control of that people really aren't discussing with you Mm -hmm. when there are things that, you know, you needed time to kind of process in order to then put on that face to, to continue on through the application and and interview process. Um, But it was, I think it, it was a unique time and, I feel like there were, um, you know, maybe more opportunities because people were paying attention to who they were hiring, kind of, right? Some schools for the first time, like, oh, we should probably have a diverse pool come in to, <laughs> to interview for this position, you know? And diversity statements were a real big thing that year. And, and so um, it, it was a unique experience coming in as a Black woman. Um, you know, checking multiple boxes (laughs) there, um, and, and going through the interview process. Mm
0: -hmm. And I guess, can we stay there? Like, do you feel like, um, some of the momentum is lasting in that regard? Um, are you continuing to see that support not only for you, but maybe some of your, um, faculty peers, um, or anyone else who has kind of gone through the process at that same time? Um, Personally, I'm feeling like there's a little bit of a shift um, to where we're just kind of trying to plaster this into history and not actually um, nourish what it could actually be as an actual infrastructure for support. But that's my opinion, I guess I'm asking (laughs) mainly of yours. Um, How are you you feeling in 2022?
2: Um, Yeah, I think... I think it's hard, right? I I try to be understanding of things. It takes time, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of us are being told right now. In order to make big changes, it takes time for an institution to do that. Um, but at the same time, it's like coming out of coming out of 2020, there were promises made. There were statements that were said about mm-hmm. um, what what changes institution um -hmm. and companies and and lots of things that people said that they were going to do Mm -hmm. to not only increase diversity but like a a specific focus on black people right Mm -hmm. and it for me has been pretty disheartening to see the the Mm backtracking that is happening now or the changing of oh it's no longer going to be focused on black people or black trainees. It's going to be focused on all trainees or, you know, minoritized trainees Mm -hmm. and and not to say that initiatives don't need to be focused on those issues. They do, but what was promised and what delivered isn't matching. Mm -hmm. And I feel like people are losing their steam. And so I do find it pretty disheartening to see, um, the the results of of everything Mm -hmm. um I mean the the institutions and the initiatives that some people are still carrying on very excited for them happy that they're there and that they're moving forward and I wish that there was more push and fun behind them um but overall uh I I do worry about uh the stalling or Mm -hmm. slowing of the momentum
0: Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for sharing that. And that could actually be a whole separate talk probably (laughs) for us. Definitely. Um, But um, yeah, I think it also just kind of reminds us that, you know, you weren't going through this process, you know, in a vacuum, like things were happening for all of us, uh, but also um, for specific groups of us during that time. So um, definitely want to commend you for that. And I I was seeing, I was kind of seeing your journey unfold on Twitter. So um, while also, you know, there's like protests and stuff happening here in Philly and like, yeah, so um, inspirational, um, but I'm I'm glad you made it through and um, continue to inspire others.
2: Thank you. Yeah, it was, I lived on the parkway in Philly, so like, Yep. So protests are <laughs> happening outside yep. of my window mm-hmm. and you can hear helicopters constantly yep. all day and see, you know, police lights and like what is we're watching happening on, you know, national TV is like it's right outside. outside. Yeah. And so yeah, it was it was a lot. Um I had to interview the day after the uh insurrection mm-hmm. and it was like, How do I go into this interview yeah. and not want to discuss things or Mm -hmm. i also interviewed the the day after um another black man was was shot in in milwaukee i mean in yeah i think it was in milwaukee it was in wisconsin Mm -hmm. and it's like how do i go into this and put on my best face and smile and be like yes you should hire me Mm -hmm. when like inside my i'm like how do i process all of the things that are happening so Mm -hmm. yeah i think it was a really unique time and everybody you know, have these experiences that they could share of Mm -hmm. I was here when this happened or I had to do this when this happened or as the only, you know, minority, people came to me of what should I do and how do I handle it? And Mm -hmm. so we all have that as a collective that, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) it was a lot though.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Um, I think one of the... More important things also is that um, maybe some of us don't even appreciate, not even like all the things that are happening outside of the sphere of this professional thing, but we don't necessarily even realize how difficult the process is or how long it is um, to kind of get into a faculty position um, or, uh, yeah, just the journey as a whole. Um, So I want to ask about that. Uh, but then i also want to before that i i want to just ask what has grounded you throughout the process and um, what have you held on to um, for support um communities um just a sense of relief um how have you uh kind of healed from that because i don't want to just jump into the all right well things are okay and yeah. the, you know <laughs> here's more advice but like um i want to acknowledge that like even as a community, um, there is healing that has had to take place, um, for everyone in academia, um, black people in academia, um, specifically. So how have you done that?
2: I think what I found to be the most helpful is just like getting on calls with my friends and just talking, talking through everything and talking everything out and getting everybody else's perspective and kind of, processing collectively, uh, I found to be extremely helpful, um, because, you know, I felt pretty isolated at my institution. And so Mm -hmm. having other, uh, black postdocs who were of my, my similar, uh, career uh, I staged. Was helpful to to talk with them to see what was what what's happening at your institution, <laughs> and how does that compare to mine, mm-hmm. and what can we do about this? You know, um, and from that, I think I I think a couple of initiatives we kind of grassroots efforts started that I think I, that were really helpful and supportive for me. Um, so one of them is a like a group of Hannah Gray fellows and I um, we approached our leadership with like what what can we do to make a change with what's happening right now Mm -hmm. right and they were so receptive to it we were all quite scared they weren't going to be uh, but they were and and from that we had like you know a big discussion with all of the Hannah Gray fellows we started to try to come up with some new initiatives that we could be doing and different things like that. And I think that really helped. Um, I also started working with the community of scholars. So this is a group of, of underrepresented minorities who were um, mostly postdocs, a couple of graduate students and a couple of faculty members. And they started writing things mm. and started writing, um, you know, op-ed pieces or, Um, STEM education pieces, you know, just different pieces that were focused on different issues that uh, minorities were facing and going through during uh, when you're in academia. And that I found to be extremely helpful as well. Um, But, you know, also always leaning on my family members and my husband and people, you know, who understand what it is that we're going through when you are black in academia and uh, are, could be more just like of a, a listening uh, and an ear to kind of allow me to get it all out <laughs> and then kind of, kind of respond. Like, you know, they, they have not gone through that situation. So they, they haven't experienced it, but they uh, can listen to me, which has been you know, and appreciate what it was like going through it. And so that was extremely helpful.
0: Right. Well, thank you for sharing that. And thank you for allowing us to take a more holistic approach to that, um, to that era. Um,
2: it was an era, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and everyone has their stories. Yeah, yeah,
0: it was an era.
1: <laughs> um, Melissa? Yeah, I wanted to ask, like, are there any were there any things during your postdoc that like specifically prepared you for um, your career now, like being a professor and like what what were some things that you experienced during grad school and also in your postdoc that really drew you into um, into academia?
2: Yeah, so I could say for my postdoc, um, my postdoc advisor is really good at generating future pis right so like uh most of the postdocs in her lab wants to stay in academia and become a faculty member and she's really great at training you for that um and again one of the reasons why i chose to go to her lab uh, so she does a great job of promoting you you know, not only is she your mentor, but she's also like your sponsor. When you aren't around, she's always, oh, I know this great person who would be good for this, and always, you know, helping find opportunities for you, which was great. Um, she was really big on sending you to conferences, and so uh, that was amazing because I really didn't get to have that experience as a graduate student. Mm-hmm. So when I was in her lab, I went to like. Four or five conferences. Two of them were international. Like I got to Scotland and in Japan, and like you know, she she was just so good at that. She's like, it's great when I talk about your science, but it's even better when you are there to talk about your science, right? So the the networks that you're able to build um, from attending those meetings and collaborations, and you know, ideas and, and sharing your work and receiving feedback mm-hmm. um, was, I mean invaluable. It made a huge impact on, you know, making sure that people in the field knew me. So when they're looking at applications, they see my name, they're like, oh, I know her, you know, (laughs) that's not gonna, I mean, that's gonna help you when you're you're going through that process. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that made um, a a big difference in how I felt about academia, uh, because I was in a really collaborative space that was really supportive and made me feel included and not the other. Um, And so from that, I was like, okay, well, now as a faculty member, I want to create that same experience for more, you know, underrepresented minorities to where they have that space, to where they feel creative and can come into the lab and do the science that they're wanting to and not always having to focus on the fact that they are, you know, they're they're underrepresented and um, the challenges and difficulties that they may face. Uh, so I am just excited to, to begin along that journey. And um, I already have two graduate students, so both are women and one is an Afro-Latina. And so I'm just so ready to kind of be in that experience and help them to, you know, cultivate that community and support system uh, that I think, is very necessary to be a woman or a minority in science, mm-hmm. and so I feel like a lot of the time I've been able to get through so many different adversities and things because of the connections and the support system and community that I've built. To where if you are having trouble, you go talk to them who identify with you and can help and support you through through those difficult times.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's wonderful. I think yeah. that really resonates with BWCB as yeah. a group as well. Like that's one of the reasons why I find it so helpful is that we're I'm able to kind of come to folks in this group and you know complain or celebrate <laughs> and you know they'll they'll get it. So it's really nice to see that that's that's seems to be a, a, a main pillar in in your. Um, you being a PI at Duke and, and a mentor. hmm What? Um, oh, go oh. ahead.
0: <laughs> go ahead, Janine. Um, I was just wondering if you if you considered other paths at all, um, industry, government, nonprofit. Has it has it crossed your mind? And what what about those made you say like, nope, not even going to think about it? <laughs> or
2: <laughs> that's that's an interesting question. So. I feel like when I was going through graduate school was the time where people were like, oh, they can't all stay in academia. We're probably going to have to think of <laughs> think of ways to where we can show them what what other career paths and the trajectories they may be able to take with a PhD, right? So, like, we were starting to have panels of people coming in talking to from um, industry or um, from all of these other you know, I hate to use the word alternative career paths because yeah. more, more people go into those paths than they probably do in academia, right? Yeah. So um, I I thought about going into industry and um, my PhD advisor was really like, no, no, okay. <laughs> like, no, don't leave academia. You need to be here. Yeah. Um, and so he, he basically kind of convinced me, he, the way he said it was, Once you leave academia, it's difficult to get back in. Mm -hmm. So if you're, if you are on the fence or undecided, just do the postdoc in academia. And if you don't like it, you can always just exit. Mm -hmm. If you do like it, then now you're prepared for that next step. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I took that advice and I stayed, um, and part of me still, even at the beginning of my postdoc, I was like, maybe I'll just leave and, and go into actually—I mean, go into industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I got the Hannah Gray Fellowship, and that—that that was a game changer. Once yeah. I got that and realized, like, oh, I have four years of funding as a um, postdoc, but I also have another four years of funding as a junior faculty member. I was like, oh, okay, well, I, I, here we are. I guess, <laughs> I guess, this is what we have to do. Um, so it really, it really put me on a, a different career trajectory by yeah. by getting that fellowship.
0: Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I think, yeah, definitely. I, I don't know about all of us here. We might be. Uh, I think I know Taylor's. <laughs> um, is there um, maybe a little Melissa? Um, and I think I'm still on the fence. Uh, but it's just nice to um hear all the perspectives especially when it comes to like mentorship and opportunity and like what it even means to have resources for you to be able to take that step I think it definitely um helps inform a lot of people's decisions
1: Uh, yeah I think it's
2: it's a difficult decision to make um I feel like sometimes on Twitter, uh, science Twitter is really good at just like making academia so it seem like it's the worst place, and industry yeah. so much better. But then I talk to people in industry, and they're like, "Girl, it's the same." Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. I think you know there are challenges everywhere. It's really about you know how you how you handle those challenges in those situations. Um, for me, I think I I I guess I I find it rewarding and. I enjoy the fact that within my lab, I get to create the dynamics. I get to create the boundaries of of what it looks like. And so because of that, and because of my lived experiences, Mm -hmm. I'm going to strive to create the most inclusive environment that I can um, and make sure that my people are okay, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think, you know, I, I hope that by doing that, it leads to more minorities wanting to um, enter into academia, enter into STEM, but also to retain the ones that we have there, right, mm-hmm. that we have now. I think a lot of the times we see people leave after grad school or leave into their postdoc because they feel so isolated and feel so... Not a sense of belonging and community. and so i I always am thinking of ways to which how can we create that community to keep people here? because um, there are good scientists who leave academia because of these reasons. and and it, I find it so frustrating that we're losing such talent to something that if we all just worked a little bit harder at it, we could easily, you know create a better community right. in academia.
0: Mm-hmm. again i feel like everything you're saying could also be a separate conversation um, because the, the touching on so many of the points of um, not only kind of like related to your journey and your path but just like our everyday lived experience in academia it's, either way you can you getting your phd you most likely have to do it in the academic setting and like you're exposed to this Anyway, and so um, I think um, it's good to just take inventory and um, realize, like, some of the the forces at play there that are kind of um, either retaining or, like, deflecting some of your peers, um, you know, from doing what you want to do. Something I think about with just trying to hold on to the community of scientists I came in with, and hopefully we all make it out of here in one piece, um, and also just have the freedom and opportunity to do what we want to do after. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Um, Melissa, go ahead and ask your question.
1: As someone who is probably leaning more towards industry, I was just wondering, what are some of like the unexpected things of um, your job now that you really enjoyed that you're like, you know, like, this is why I'm here and, you know, it really keeps you motivated throughout.
2: I thought you were going to ask the exact opposite. (laughs) What are challenges that you did not even know were associated with? I mean, you can speak on that as well. (laughs) Um, I guess, so I think one thing that is challenging, but also rewarding um, is managing people, right? So I didn't realize how much, Work and effort <laughs> goes into to managing all of the people within your lab and, and keeping everybody happy and on the right, uh, right path scientifically, and keeping making sure the at home life is okay because you know that can sometimes affect the research and you know time and everything. Um, it is it, it is difficult to manage people, but it's also so rewarding when you know watching them progress and develop and kind of blossom as a scientist, right? Watching them learn a technique and then come back with like real data, like, look, you taught me and here it is. I've learned, I've now mastered this and here is data. Um, It's exciting, uh, but it can can be be challenging. So I think it's really important uh, to make sure you have the right group, right? I feel like as a new faculty member, a lot of times, People will just hire people because they want someone in their lab. Um, I've tried to be really strategic with who I hire and why I hired them and think a lot about how are they going to fit into my lab dynamic? And is it going to continue to be the dynamic that I want to create in this space? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that's one thing. Uh, that's, that's rewarding, but also difficult uh, at the, the exact same time. Um, other things that I find, um, I guess, that I've really enjoyed about being um, a new faculty member um, is I really have liked um, my department. My department has a lot of really good scientists um, that I have. Uh, complementary skill sets with so the interactions and like the the scientific conversations that I've gotten to have with them I find really great and um, have really like pushed me to start thinking about using you know new techniques and learning new skills and things that like I was totally not thinking about as a postdoc um, that have, have been really nice to see and and exciting to kind of think about, about future opportunities and things. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that has been, I guess one, one thing that I was most shocked about when starting the lab is um, how much time you spend at the beginning talking to vendors, Mm -hmm. right? Like I was not prepared. (laughs) I was not prepared for this at all. Because right, I don't, I don't know what I thought, <laughs> I mean, but like yeah, to fill a lab. how else are you going to get this stuff? So I feel like most of your time the first month is literally you talking to vendors, mm-hmm. looking through catalogs, picking out what you're going to purchase. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to give get them to give you a discount because you're just a, <laughs> a new lonely sad PI and so you <laughs> should get extra money off because of this <laughs> mm-hmm. and things like that and I just wasn't ready for, for like the first month to be mm-hmm. that um, so that was pretty surprising for me also I came from really big labs and so it was really lonely at first Like I was the only one yeah. in my entire lab Space. Oh. and then I hired a, an undergrad to help me to uh to unpack boxes and things and so she would only come in like two times a week and so I, I would find myself when I would get home from work I would just like to my husband like later, and uh, this happened today and she's like whoa, oh. and I realized it was because I wasn't talking to anyone for like yeah. the whole day <laughs> yeah <laughs> So that was that was just like a unique experience. I, I also remember I was looking to do something and I was like, Oh, I will just I'll just get a a, a sharpie and like write this on on like a piece of tape and then I realized I did not have a sharpie nor tape and I was like <laughs> again I was from big labs like you walk in and everything's there and so yeah. I had nothing and so one of the first things I did was put together a staples order so that I could get sharpies mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that I could write stuff so mm-hmm. things like that it was just like oh
1: I have to buy that right yeah Oh, I feel like there should be a like a new lab starter pack with yeah. <laughs> at minimum. <laughs> I mean
2: they're they're they are they try to help you as much as possible. They have mm-hmm. like spreadsheets where you can kind of like check off to make sure you're getting things. But everybody is, you know, so particular about the type of glove mm-hmm. and the type of tip. And is it a barrier tip or a non tip? Yeah. A non barrier <laughs> tip. You know, like everybody has such particulars about things that mm-hmm. you still have to go through like the entire catalog five stuff. Yeah
0: well we have technically like one minute left do you have like three minutes on your clock to just chat about maybe how you sort of more of your research Um, we had a few research questions that we didn't get to but um, are you collaborating or hope to collaborate with any computational scientists or biologists Um, how are you planning to incorporate that into um, your work or how are you fulfilling those needs and I guess just what is your vision for how you might um, just create a space for interdisciplinary uh, work in the future? Um, I think most people will know what you do, but also if you spend like 10 seconds just telling people <laughs> your research.
2: Yeah. Um, so my lab uses um, proteomics, uh, cell-based assays and uh, quantitative lifestyle imaging to understand mitochondrial dynamics and regulation and how that contributes to neurodegenerative diseases. Um, And so in what we do, if you use proteomics, quantitative imaging yeah <laughs> uh, lots of lots of data lots of numbers <laughs> uh, definitely uh need to co- uh, initiate these collaborations they're super important and i feel like now the nih is moving towards like if you want to get an r1 you you do have to show that you're working with like a biostatistician computational somebody of, along those lines because mm-hmm. as we continue to get towards these larger data sets mm-hmm processing has to happen. And um, a lot of, of cell biologists and, and, and basic biologists just don't have that background. And so the, the easiest way is to is to collaborate with someone who's also excited about what you do. Um, it, it makes a huge difference about what we can analyze, especially for me. You know, if we're tracking mitochondria over the course of five minutes, sometimes like two hours, that can generate a whole lot of data and we have particular questions that we want to ask but sometimes we don't have the the best way or the most streamlined way to analyze the data in order to to um, get an answer for that question that we're interested in asking Mm -hmm. and so that's when it comes time to be like hi people who do things (laughs) like this can you please (laughs) help us to, to be able to interpret our data or to quantify it in certain ways in order to understand and address our questions. So um, I think it's super useful. It's 100% necessary. And as we continue to move towards larger and larger data sets and generating more and more data, it it has to be a collaborative process. It's just not feasible to do it on your own anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And that I mean, that that could be said for, you know, the interdisciplinary of pretty much most of what people are doing these days. You know, Mm -hmm. you need somebody who's, you know. That the proteomic expert to, to work with the, the cell biologist who does cell imaging, to mm-hmm. work with an electrophysiologist, to work with a structural person, to mm-hmm. like really get a, a real global understanding of what, what's going on. So I do like the idea that now people are moving towards like grants, I think like pods or having multiple PIs working together to address yeah. the problem. Um, I think that that is where a lot of, good, not only foundational research, but um, a a lot of exciting uh, new avenues and and thinking about how, you know, diseases are progressing and and different things like that.
0: Mm. Yes, absolutely. And that's really exciting to um, kind of see the opportunity in your lab um, specifically for that. Um, intersection of, of work and well, you'll be able to kind of um, cultivate that environment, of bringing in different people from different backgrounds. And I think sometimes as comp bio people, we sometimes feel like we need to be in a lab where almost everyone is computational, but I think there are pros and cons to being in different types of environments and just understanding how you can contribute to that dynamic. So I just wanted to Uh, kind of spotlight, highlight that for the computational people listening um, who might be interested in a job. Um,
2: Yeah, (laughs) yeah, come on. Come on over. (laughs) (laughs) We have work for you.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you so much for this conversation and for opening up about your journey. Uh, Again, we could probably talk forever about everything we talked about, but um, I think we learned a lot just about your motivations your background and um, your mentorship style but also you know how you've been able to navigate this journey um, you know kind of taking your identity into account and just um, yeah being a human being throughout this transition so thank you for opening up about that and shedding some light into um, the realities of that Um, Melissa anything to close out
1: Oh, yeah, definitely appreciated hearing a lot of what you said today. It actually has me considering maybe I can go into academia. <laughs> you can do it. Hmm. So, you, yeah, find,
2: but, you find that support system. You find your, yeah. your mentor and your coach and your sponsor and they they will help you get through that process. And I think you need all all three of those people, mm-hmm. right? To to make to, to help you navigate it, and Definitely. it's been a really positive experience for me by having that um, that support system.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, So I will, de- I'll be reaching back out to you. Yes, yes,
2: please do. Because I, I, there's nothing I feel more embarrassed about. It's like when a black woman walks by, I'm like, I don't know her way. Like, I need, yeah. I need to do something with this. Yes. <laughs> if you're in my building, I need to know you. Mm-hmm. We need to have coffee.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, that, that sounds lovely. Yeah, well, I'm sure you'll be inspiring lots more people as well as they listen to this.
2: Well, thank you so much for the the opportunity to be here to share my experiences. Um, yeah, I have, you know, I have a lot of people that I look up to. Um, and as I go through this process, I I'm always thinking about how I can be and set an example for the people who are coming behind me, but also how I can continue to push open doors for more people to enter behind me.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you again. And with that, we will wrap up. Um, you'll be able to learn about um, more about Dr. Evans. We'll probably have a description under wherever this is posted um, to learn more about her research, her lab, um, and just get to know Uh, where you can connect with her. Twitter, LinkedIn, is that okay?
2: Yeah, Twitter, LinkedIn, yeah, absolutely.
0: Awesome, well, thank you all for listening um, and thank you all for being here and being a part of the, the conversation. We hope you really enjoyed that awesome conversation we had with Dr. Evans and we're so thankful for her joining us. If you'd like to learn more about her, visit her lab website at evansresearchlab.com. And if you're interested in mitochondrial biology, neurodegenerative diseases, and quantitative imaging, the Evans Lab is currently hiring postdocs, so feel free to send your CV to her through her website. Uh, you can follow her on Twitter, at Shani Sky, which is C H a-n-n-y-s-k-y-e and find her on LinkedIn as well as Chantelle Evans PhD. Chantel spelled C-H-A-N-T-E-L-L Evans E-V-A-N-S. This interview was hosted by Melissa Minto and co-hosted by Janae Adams on the BWCB Executive Board. The music is by Anno Domini Beats from the Copyright Safe YouTube Music Library. The Black Women in Computational Biology Network is a global community of Black women scientists advancing biology through a computational lens. With over 200 members from four continents, we increase opportunity for collaboration, professional development, and science communication to change the face of integrity of biosciences across the globe. The Black and Comb Bio series highlights black scientists from a variety of professional backgrounds and their stories. Thank you for listening to this one.